Turn to Proverbs chapter number 10. Uh, we're looking at Proverbs chapter 10 throughout the summer. We've only got to chapter number 10. And so this book is filled with a wealth of information that I promise you that if you will look at it, read it, and apply it to your life, it can be very transformative in your Christian life and development. And so the book of Proverbs, and of course you've heard me say this, is a very practical book. It's not only a book of knowing how to do something. It's a book of um, not only um, practical wisdom, but it's also a book of how to do what the Holy Spirit wants us to do. And so, remember last week I said a proverb or proverbs is a concise, memorable saying using, using in poetic form, expressing a general accepted observation about life as it's filtered through Bible or biblical revelation. So when you look at the book of Proverbs, leave that definition up there, you will notice that Proverbs is a very short, concise, it's memorable, and it's in the poetic genre of Scripture, and uh, it's usually uh, expressing a general fact about an observation of life, and it's filtered through biblical revelation. Now, it's very important that you have to understand that the book of Proverbs is not a book of promises, okay? Uh, the Bible says, if you train up a child in the way they should go, when they're old, they shall not depart from it. That is not a promise. That is an observation about life filtered through biblical revelation. Because we all know that there's people been raised right and they've never come back. The scripture says, a soft answer turns away wrath. Well, that's a general observation of life. Usually if you come in contact with an angry person and you answer them with a soft answer, usually it will turn the wrath away, but not all the time. Because we, you, you know and I know there's crazy people out there. It doesn't matter how you talk to them, they're still crazy. Can I hear an amen? So the general fact of life, the observation of life, the book of Proverbs is a general observation of life, but it's filtered through Bible or biblical revelation. So it's the Word of God. And so, now what I want you to see tonight is this. I want you to see, and as you come to the Word of God, as you read the Bible, it's very important that you understand that the Bible is a head and heart Thing. It's not just a head thing, it is a heart thing. Everybody shout that with me. It's a head thing. Come on, shout it with me. It's a head thing. And it's a heart thing. You remember the story of the two men to Emmaus? After the resurrection of Christ, they were walking away from uh, the resurrection. And as they're on the way to Emmaus, Jesus is talking to them and they could not comprehend who he was until Jesus sat down and ate with them and broke bread with them. Then their eyes were opened. But the scripture was clear in Luke chapter 24, Luke 24, 45. I want you to look at the scripture. Luke 24, 45. I want you to notice what the writer here, who is Luke, says about this conversation between the two men of Emmaus and Jesus himself. The Bible says in Luke 24, verse 45, I want you to see this passage of scripture, which I think holds great, great, great um, importance. It says, and he opened, speaking of Jesus, their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. So it's important that as you come to the Scriptures, that you come to it with your mind, obviously. You have to reason, be very, you know, come to it. You, 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 God has created you to have a mind. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind. 
engage the Scriptures with your mind, but also it's a heart thing as well. And it takes the Holy Spirit opening your heart so that you will understand and comprehend the Scripture. The word for revelation means to uncover. Illumination, to bring light to something. How many would agree with Pastor Josh that you've read the Bible before and as you were reading it, you felt like the Spirit of God gave you revelation, uncovered something to you or illuminated something to you that you didn't see before? Can, I, can you raise your hand? Amen. We've seen that before. And so as you come to the Bible, it is a head thing, but it's also a heart thing. And that is why I encourage you, when you read the Bible, you should pray first because that makes your heart pliable. It makes your heart receptive to receive what you're reading. If you read the Bible before you pray, you, you think it's for somebody else and not you. So when you come to the Bible, come to it with your mind, engage it with your intellect, but also engage it with your heart as well. It takes the Holy Spirit to open our understanding. Jesus said in John 6, the words I speak, they are spirit and they are life. So you understand the scripture spiritually because his words are spirit and they are life. So you look at the book of Proverbs, it's a general observation about life. It's a short, concise, memorable saying about an observation of life, but it's filtered through Bible revelation. It's filtered through biblical revelation. It is the word of God. So therefore, I said, to say, I said that to say this, it is applicable to your life. You should apply the book of Proverbs to your life. It is wisdom. You see, you don't get wisdom because you grow older. You have experience when you get older. You don't necessarily have wisdom when you get older. In the, in the Old Testament, the word elder, E-L-D-E-R, usually stood for a person who was of age, an older male. But when you get to the New Testament, the word elder, E-L-D-E-R, is the word for a wise person. Yes, an older person could be wise, but not necessarily. So therefore, wisdom doesn't come with age. Wisdom doesn't come just because you have gray hair. It just maybe, it means maybe you had a lot of experience in your life. And a lot of people go around the same mountain for 40 years and never learn from the experiences of their life. Wisdom is you stop and you learn from it and you don't repeat the same mess that you come out of. Can I hear an Amen. The quality, of, the quality of your birthdays reveals your age in life. But the quality of your behavior reveals the stage of life that you're in. The quality of birthdays reveal the age that you are. But the quality of your behavior reveals the stage of life that you are in. You can be 50 years old, but your behavior says you're in kindergarten. So wisdom is not necessarily you getting older with gray hair. Wisdom is you learning from the experiences of your life so you don't repeat the same thing that you used to repeat. So the quality of birthdays may reveal your age, but ladies and gentlemen, the quality of your behavior will reveal the stage of life that you are in. Are you mature or are you childish? Jesus called us to be childlike. He did not call us to be childish. And there's a difference between childish behavior and childlike faith. And so you are called to grow up in the Lord. You see, there's a difference between how people respond when they're childish. Immature people will take a serious conversation and they'll think that you're confronting them about something. You see, you've got to understand that as you grow older in the Lord, your perception begins to change. Can I hear an amen? You begin to be able to discern things that maybe you didn't discern when you were younger in the faith. You begin to discern the people around you. You begin to discern between a bad day and a bad heart. In Scripture, Peter had a bad day, but Judas had a bad heart. 
And it takes somebody that has the spirit to discern whether you're having a bad day or somebody having a bad day versus somebody having a bad heart. It takes somebody that is walking in wisdom to know how to restore somebody or to release somebody. You either release them or restore them. You release Judas, but you restore Peter. Peter had a bad day, but Judas had a bad heart. It takes somebody that is walking in wisdom. It takes somebody that is growing in their faith to know whether there are Peters or Judases in their life. It's, it's an, it is an attitude of maturity. It's growing up in the Lord. You see, how do I know I'm growing? Because you're doing the same thing that people that your age is only doing and occasionally. If you only do things occasionally, you're only going to grow occasionally. But if you produce a habit in your life, you're going to grow faster than other people. So you've got to make a decision. Am I growing in the Lord? Am I grow is there some growth in my life? It is not about perfection, it's about progress. In God's economy, He does not promote those who are perfect or gifted. He promotes those people who are progressing in their faith. It is not a closed mindset. It is a growth mindset. I may have not been perfect. I know I've messed up. There's things I shouldn't have done. But today's a new day. I'm going to go on. I've decided that I'm giving up my emotional life and I'm taking up a devotional life. Somebody say amen. I'm growing in the Lord. I'm making a progress in the Lord. You see, let me just say this. Radical Christianity is not about you going on a missions trip to Africa. Radical Christianity is not about you going across seas to Mexico. That's not radical Christianity. Radical Christianity is not about you going to a conference and learning new ideas and new principles about church growth or how you can better your self-esteem. Radical Christianity is simply this, that I can remain stable for decades that I can remain consistent for decades, that I didn't give up, I didn't digress, but I always progressed. It may be a little step, it may be a little here, it may be a little there, but I'm always progressing. That is radical Christianity. And Jesus was very, very clear about this. Jesus said that when the Word of God goes forth, there are some that will receive the Word on thorny ground, some stony ground, some will receive it with joy. But the cares of this life will come and choke it out and they fall away. So you know what radical Christianity is? Radical Christianity is not you, you, you being gifted. It's not you, you, you giving an X amount of money to the church. It's not you going on a missions trip. It's not you going to another conference. It's not you going to another church. Radical Christianity is you being stable for decades and being planted and not potted in the house of God. That's radical Christianity. It's being faithful, not 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 uh, giving in to every wind. Cunningness of doctrine, the scripture says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, that you remain stable, you remain consistent, no matter how you feel. Your feelings are not facts. I don't care how you feel. They're not factual all the time. Your feelings are not factual. Just because you feel something doesn't mean it's factual. And so radical Christianity states that I'm going to be faithful and dedicated in spite of what's going on around me, in spite of what people say, in spite of how I feel, I am stable and I am dedicated and I am consistent and I am persevering in spite of the storm. Can I hear an amen tonight? That's radical Christianity. Not a bunch of this hoopla, everybody just getting another experience and going from here and there. And No, all this power that we say we have, if you have the power over sickness and disease and, and you have power over the devil, then you should have power over your gossip and your selfishness and the gossip over... Come on, somebody, you should have power over those things as well. 
All this power we say we have is Pentecostal. Boy, we want to heal the sick and preach the gospel around the world. Why don't we just have power over our mouth and have power over our behavior and power over... Come on, somebody. The quality of your birthdays reveal the age in your life, but the quality of your behavior certainly reveals the stage of life that you are in. What kind of stage of life are you in tonight? What does your behavior exemplify? I am convinced that tonight you do not have a debt problem. You have a wisdom problem. You do not have a relationship problem. You have a wisdom problem. It all directly goes back to wisdom. It is about making the appropriate decisions in life. Decisions determine destiny. Your life is a sum total of all the decisions that you made in life. If you are not happy about your life, it is because you have made those decisions. And you are where you are in your life because of the decisions that you've made and because of the practical wisdom that you followed. Whether it's good wisdom, bad wisdom, your own wisdom, but there is a wisdom that comes from God that if you obey it, it will bring success in your life in spite of what you feel or see. So it's about making decisions. You see, sometimes we want a quick fix. We want Jesus to come and fix it all. But ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is not going to fix it all. And some people get in a rut and they're like, well, I, I've messed up too much to make any, I, I, I just feel like I can't progress any longer. Well, you've got to have the right perception because growing up in the Lord and walking in wisdom is, an, is, is a perception, is, is, is a perception um, view. You can look at your life and your mistakes as a life sentence, or you can look at it as a lesson. Now, which is it? Are you going to stay in the captivity of your sin and view your life and your past mistakes as a life sentence? Or are you going to look at it as a lesson? Are you going to look at things as a season? Or are you going to look at things as a lesson? You've got to change your perception. You've got to change your perception of how you view things. Can I hear an Amen. You see, it's not about how big you can believe in life. It's not about how big your faith is. It is how long you can believe when believing doesn't look like it's working. That's radical Christianity. It's not about you praying for more faith because Jesus didn't say you needed more faith. Jesus said you need to exercise the faith that you had. He said all you need is faith as a grain of the mustard seed. That's, the mustard seed's not very big. He said if you have that kind of faith, you can say to the mountain, be there removed and be cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe those things which he saith. He shall have whatsoever he saith. That's all the faith you need is a grain of a mustard seed. So it's not an issue of people's faith. It is an issue of how long you can believe when it looks like believing is not producing what you're believing for. That's radical faith. That is radical Christianity. How long can I believe in spite of my discouragement? How long can I believe in spite of my doubt? That is the, that's the man who had the sick son who was demon-possessed in the Gospels. He said to the Lord, Lord, help me. I believe, but help my unbelief. Because there's always a battle between what you believe and what you don't believe. And you know when faith gets in trouble? It's easy to believe God for things when you don't got to believe God very long. But doubt creeps in when you got to believe God for a long time. That's when doubt comes in. 
That's when discouragement comes in. When you've got to believe God for so long, doubt begins to come in. It's no wonder the man said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Why did he say that? Because Jesus said, how long has this been happening to your son? He said, since he's been a child, Lord. All these years, the demon has vexed my son. It's no wonder he was doubting because doubt creeps in when you've got to believe for a long time. You see, radical Christianity is being stable for decades. Radical Christianity is being firm for decades. Radical Christianity is knowing how to believe God and being consistent in believing God when it looks like it ain't working. Am I talking to anyone up in this church house tonight? That's radical Christianity. How long can you believe? How long can you stay firm in spite of opposition? And the book of Proverbs is a book composed of wisdom and practical sayings, but people don't want to follow the book of Proverbs because they want a quick fix. And ladies and gentlemen, if you're going to walk in success and you're going to walk in the life that God has for you, it is not necessarily about deliverance. It is about discipline. God did not deliver the three Hebrew boys out of the fiery furnace. He went with them in the fiery furnace. David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He don't take you out of the valley. He walks with you in the valley. It is not about deliverance. It's about discipline. How long can you believe in the valley without giving up? How long can you walk through the valley without you going the other direction? And people read the book of Proverbs and it's real good. I mean, you read scriptures like the blessing of the Lord maketh the rich and hath no sorrow to it. The blessing of the Lord runs you down and overtakes you. We read scriptures like that in the book of Proverbs, but we fail to realize that the book of Proverbs is not a quick scheme where we just quote these scriptures and everything's fixed in our life. It is a book that tells us that if you practice these things on a daily basis, if you will practice these things and these become a habit in your life, then your habit will produce a lifestyle and your lifestyle will produce a destiny. It is not about just doing this one time. It's not about just doing it one time. I've pastored for 16 years since I was 22 years old or whatever. And people want a quick fix. Get me out of it. Get me out of it. Get me out of it. It's not about that. It's about living a consistent life, making the right decisions, because decisions determine destiny. It's decisions. We live in a culture where it's all about ourselves. It's about catering to ourselves, but the gospel is clear. It's about abandoning yourself. It's not about catering to yourself and to your desires. Ladies and gentlemen, it's about abandoning yourself. You see, a thirsty soul that's not governed by the Spirit will drink from any source. A thirsty soul that's not governed by the Spirit will drink from any source. Oh, people are drinking. People are going after information. We live in an intellectual world. They're going after information. They're going after material. They're going after things to satisfy the internal longing of their soul. But if your soul is not governed by the Spirit, you will drink from any source. You will drink from the pig pen. You'll drink from the toilet. Because a soul, a thirsty soul that's not governed by the Spirit will drink from any source. It's a danger. It's a danger to be empty. Jesus said that when the Spirit left the man, the strong man's, this, the man cleaned his house. And Jesus said that 
If he's not careful, seven more will come inside of him. The point of the story is, it's very, very dangerous to be empty. You've got to fill yourself. But you've got to fill yourself with something that will satisfy the internal longing of your heart. Can I hear an amen tonight? Can I hear an amen tonight? So, what about it? Do you have an attitude that you're teachable? That you want to learn? That you want to grow? That you want to apply the principles of the book of Proverbs to you? Why am I saying this? Because it's just not enough for me to just get up and preach Proverbs. I'm telling you how important it is. You've got to know the why before you do the how. You see, if you don't know that, then when the Holy Spirit corrects you, you won't be teachable. You'll think somebody's picking on you. If somebody comes to you and out of a spirit of love and meekness and brings something to your attention that you need to change, you'll have the attitude that they're picking on me instead of trying to help me because you're not teachable. Your spirit is not submitted to Christ. You don't have a submissive spirit where the Holy Spirit has submitted your body, soul, and spirit to His plan and to His purpose. Hallelujah. So what kind of what heart do you have? Your birthday, the quality of your birthdays reveal your age, but the quality of your behavior reveals what stage of life that you are in. What stage of life are you in, ladies and gentlemen? What is the Holy Spirit doing? He's called us not to be childish. He's called us to have childlike faith. And are you walking in childlike faith that simply believe God at His very word just because He said it? Proverbs chapter 1, Solomon knows altogether. Chapters 1 through 9 is the introduction to the book. From chapter 10 to chapter 16 is a bunch of random sayings. I want you to say this with me as loud as you can say it. Say random sayings. So starting in chapter 10, it's just a bunch of random sayings. Solomon is writing this. He's writing a concise, memorable proverb, an observation of life, but we know as Christians it's filtered through by biblical revelation. So it, it, these proverbs are little sayings about life. And starting with chapter 10, they're just random. They don't even make sense. Cha chap verse 2 and verse 3, it, sometimes it doesn't even go together because they're just random. Chapters 1 through 9, it was the introduction to the book of Proverbs. And Solomon is telling, he's given examples that wisdom is like a woman. And wisdom runs, roams the streets crying out, saying, come to my house. I've got a dinner prepared for you. But what does people do? People go to their house, according to Solomon, and they shut their door and they're busy about life. And wisdom is crying on the streets. And you know what Solomon said? It is the simple ones that goes to their homes and shuts the doors. It's the simple ones that shut the doors and shut the blinds. And wisdom is like a woman in the street saying, hey, I've got a dinner prepared. It's free. Come to my house to eat. And simple people ignore it. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the society that we live in. Wisdom is crying in the streets. Wisdom is like a woman that cries in the street saying, I've got a buffet prepared. I've got a meal prepared. It's free. Just come to my house. Eat of it. But people are simple. People are busy. People are being foolish. People are being childish. And they go to their homes and shut the doors, shut the blinds. They do not want to listen to what wisdom has to say. Let it not be said of Christ Point Church that you are foolish. That you are unteachable. That you can't listen to wisdom. You can't listen to instruction because you know it all. Do not be like those people that Solomon said. And we've already, I've already preached a sermon about it. 
Don't be like those people that go in your homes and shut the door as wisdom cries on the streets. But open the door of your house. Open up the blinds. Walk out and say, I'm coming to your house for a feast. I'm opening my heart up for wisdom. I'm opening my life up for instruction because I want to be better than I've ever been. It's not about being bigger. It's about being better. It's not about self-esteem. It's about God-esteem. It's not about seven steps to a new healthy you. It's about abandoning myself so I could view myself the way that God views me. You're not as good as you think you are, but you're not as bad as you think you are either. It's having a healthy self-esteem about yourself. You say, it's hard, Pastor. Well, sometimes faith will make you look stupid until it rains. Noah looked stupid until it rained. Faith will make you look stupid until it rains. Then everybody will know that you were right. So Solomon says, listen to me, son. Listen to me. Proverbs 10 verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon. He says, a wise, a wise child brings joy to his father. Foolish child brings grief to his mother. You know Solomon could say this. Solomon brought grief to his parents. The very first thing he begins to say is, listen, you need to follow my instruction because your decisions affect everyone else. It doesn't just affect you. It's going to affect your parents. You see, your parents. He says, I'm reading now the New Living Translation tonight because I think I like how it is worded tonight. He says, a wise child, a child that is wise brings joy to his father and a foolish child brings grief to his mother. I've seen that in my life, how a child can almost drive parents insane. Deplete their resources, deplete their bank account, deplete their energy, deplete their emotional state. As children, we need to understand that every one of us has parents. Some of them are gone, some of them are alive, but you need to honor your parents that you may bring joy to your father and not grief to your mother. Be a joy to them. Be a joy, because whatever you sow, you will reap. You don't want your child to bring grief to you. You want your child to bring joy to you, so you bring joy to your parents. Amen? The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6 that there is a promise. If you want to live a long life, you are to honor your parents. You are to honor them. Now, it doesn't say if you agreed with them. Because, you see, as Christians, it's not about who is right, it's about righteousness. You see, the moment you become a believer, you have to relinquish your rights. I got a right to do this and a right to do that. You see, that right there tells me you've been so infiltrated by the American society because everybody thinks they have rights. And in the church, remember, the church is a people in a people, a nation in a nation a country in a country, a priesthood in a people. You see, we are not called to be like the culture. We don't think like the culture. We are separate from the culture. That's why the church is called the called out, the called out assembly. We are not, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. We have contact with the world, but we are not contaminated by the world. There's a difference. Jesus ate with the sinners, but he wasn't contaminated by them. I'm sick of Christians being contaminated by unbelievers. You can't even go out to eat. You start acting like them. You, they should be start acting like you. 
Can I hear an amen? Contact without contamination. And so here he says, don't, don't bring grief to your parents. Verse number two, he says, verse number two, he says, tainted wealth has no lasting value, but right living can save your life. So number two, he says, not only do you need to honor your parents, he says, but you've got to be careful how you get your wealth. Now this is just a random saying. He says, be careful how you get your wealth. Now listen, let me make sure you understand this. Attaining wealth is not bad in itself, but wealth must be attained in a right way, in a godly way. Wealth that is attained by an unjust way brings dishonor to God. Wealth is not bad in itself. It's just dependent on how you got the wealth. How did you obtain the wealth? Is it tainted? Because if it's tainted, it has no lasting value. But right living can save your life. In other words, if you obtain wealth the right way, you will live the right way. It will have lasting value. You see, usually a proverb has contrast in it. And you'll see the contrast in these short proverbs. Tainted wealth has no lasting value. But what's the contrast? If you do it right, you can save your life. Number three, verse number three, he goes on to say, now this is just a random proverb. He says, the Lord will not let the godly go hungry, but he refuses to satisfy the craving of the wicked. In other words, God will always take care of His own. And I want to make sure that you understand this. God will take care of those who are in covenant with Him. If you are in covenant with God, God is going to take care of you. David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor God's seed begging for bread. It may not come the way you think it should come. It may not even come the way you think it should come, but God will take care of His own. How many could testify tonight that God is always taking care of you? Always. Raise your hand. There has never been a time that He has not taken care of you, but that He has always provided for you. It may not even be the means that you think He should, but He will always provide for you. Verse number four, He talks about work is honorable. It's good to go to work. Lazy people are seen poor, but hard workers get rich. How many would raise your hand and say, I don't like lazy people? Raise your hand. Lazy people are soon poor. Now let me make sure you understand something. Working is honorable to God. You should work. You should worship. You should work. You should witness. And you should read the Word. Don't forget those W's. Read the Word. Engage your life. Follow the Word. You should worship in a public setting, according to Scripture, and you should work in the church, and you should work outside for your family. You should work. But you should also rest. Working too much is not honorable to God. God has instituted rest for you. Working diligently is honorable to God and expected of God. And if you want to get ahead in life, you've got to work. Don't expect God to do it. You can sit around and be lazy, but God's not going to do it. Working with God, working, working. J excuse me, just because you're walking with God does not exonerate you from work. You can sit around and say, well, God's going to provide for me. No, if you have two legs, two arms, and a feet, and you're capable of working, then God expects you to work. Because the Bible says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, that if you don't work, you can't provide for your own household got to work. But you also got to understand you got to rest too. When work interferes with worship, 
and work interferes with the word, you've got to balance it out. You have to balance it out. The Bible says in the process of time, Cain and Abel offered their sacrifice to God. In the process of time, what was the process of time in Genesis? It was the day of worship. But you also find in chapter 2, they were working. They were tilling the ground. They worked, but they also worshipped. Make sure you make a priority that worship is important. What about opportunities? Opportunities. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 5, it speaks of opportunities. Now these are just random sayings that he goes on. He says, a wise youth harvests in the summer, but one who sleeps during the harvest is a disgrace. You know what he's saying? Solomon is saying, take the opportunity when it's given to you. He is saying that a farmer works hard in the sowing season. But, now get this, a farmer works hard in the sowing season, he takes a break, and then at harvest time, he reaps what he sowed. But sometimes farmers were known to rest in between and sleep so much that they missed the opportunity. Don't miss the opportunity to reap after you have sowed just because you've decided to take a long extended break and get lazy. That's what he's saying. Be careful that your rest don't turn into laziness. Perpetual state of rest is laziness. But a perpetual state of work is exhaustion. You've got to have a balance. You've got to have a balance between rest and work. Too much rest is laziness. Too much work is exhaustion. You've got to have a balance between both of them. <clears throat> Excuse me. A balance between both of them. He says, be wise that you take the opportunity. A wise person knows the opportunity when it's given to him to reap. They know the opportunity. Don't sleep through the harvest after you've done all the work. Make sure you, sne- make sure you seize upon opportunities that's given to you. Seize upon it. Take a time to rest, but don't allow the rest to turn into laziness. But be cautious that you take opportunities that are given to you. Chapter number 10, verse number 6. Listen what he says. He goes on to say, he talks about words. Blessings are on the head of the righteous, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. Look at it. He says the godly are showered with blessings out of the NLT, and the words of the wicked console violent intentions. In other words, it's important what you say. Now get this. He says, the godly are showered with blessings. Okay? But what does the wicked do? The wicked have a problem with their heart. They have a problem with violent intentions. Their intentions are wrong. And this is what I want you to see, that when you look at the gospel, if you read the book of Matthew, and you read the teachings of Jesus, now I don't, some people don't like this, but Jesus expects you to go the extra mile. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, you shall not murder. But I say unto you, you have heard you shall not commit adultery. But I say unto you, you have heard this, but I say unto you, Jesus is saying, listen, what you've heard in the law is right, but I am telling you that you need to go an extra mile. We live in a generation where Christians are so short-tempered and ready to give up on people and ready to leave. Are you going the extra mile? Are you really following radical Christianity and really going the extra mile that Jesus requires us to follow? Are you just ready to give up just because you're having a bad day? Go the extra mile. You've heard it was said, but Jesus said, I say unto you, do this. 
I say unto you, if they ask you to go one mile, I say unto you, go two miles. We people say, boy, I'm going to just tell them the peace of my mind. That's why you don't have a piece of, that's why your mind is gone. You've gave too many pieces away. Go the extra mile. I just don't like what they did to me. Well, who cares? Somebody else is going to hurt you too. It's just life. It's just life. You've got to learn how to develop character. Words. Be careful what you say. Jesus said in Matthew 12, verse 36. You know what Jesus said? And people, I don't, I don't know if people understand the significance of the words that they've actually speak. Let me take a break here. What time is it? 7.34, okay. People don't really, thank you. People don't really understand the significance of the words that they say. Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. Bo, if you can put it up there. Jesus was clear about your words. You'll be very careful about the words that you speak. Because Jesus said that you're going to give an account in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, of every word that you speak, every idle word that you speak. Jesus said that you're going to give an account for those words that you speak. But I say to you that for every idle word that man may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. Do you know that your words are very powerful? Your words really is the litmus test of your heart. You cannot separate your heart from your mouth. What is in your heart, your mouth will eventually speak. Your words will tell everybody who you truly are. Eventually, you can cover it up for a while, but eventually your mouth will reveal the type of person that you are. If you, if you have bad fruit, like Jesus said, your mouth will reveal it. Eventually. It's going to reveal it. Your heart and your mouth is connected. You cannot separate it. It will eventually tell on you. You are connected. The heart and the mouth is connected. To change your words, if you really want to change your words, you've got to change your heart. And in order to change your heart, you've got to change what is put in your heart. And what is put in your heart? By what you see and what you hear. Whatever you see, whatever you hear, forms the heart that you have. And the reason that we say the things that we say is because you have put things in your eyes, you've seen things, and you've heard things, and it's formed your heart, so therefore your mouth says whatever is in your heart. So to change your words, you've got to change your heart. To change your heart, you've got to change what you put in your ears, what you hear and what you see. If you change what you see and change what you hear, then you change the condition of your heart. And when the condition of your heart is changed, your mouth will be changed. It will tell on you, ladies and gentlemen. And your life will change when your words change. Your words will either speak blessings or cursings. It will either bring a breakthrough or a breakdown. It will either uplift people or tear people down. It could crush somebody to the nearest end. Your words have the power to change somebody's life. The wicked, of course, the book of Proverbs says, they run around with evil intentions in their heart. Their mouth speaks what is in their heart. They have evil intentions, so their mouth speaks it. Verse number 7 Proverbs chapter 10, verse number 7. Here's another random saying. He just goes on with these random sayings. Proverbs chapter 10, verse number 7. He goes on. Look at it. He says, we have happy memories of the godly, but the name of the wicked rots away. He says, in other words, Solomon is just this random saying. 
He says, how will you be remembered? When you're dead and gone, how will you be remembered? He says, the ungodly, they just rot away. But there should be happy memories of the godly. Please, don't make the preacher lie at your funeral. I've lied at a lot of them. Don't, let's not lie. Did you hear that, Lana? Sorry about that. I know you, God forgive me for all the... But you, you all understand what I'm saying. Leave a legacy. Because listen, you're going to be remembered for... You're either going to be remembered as a lesson or you're going to be remembered as a blessing. Your life is going to be remembered as a lesson. I sure don't want to, <laughs> sure don't want to ever live that type of life. That's a lesson. Or your life can be remembered as a blessing. And you, you're, you're writing your funeral right now how you want to be remembered. So go ahead and spew off the mouth. Go ahead and act like an idiot because you're just writing your funeral. Your mind don't have a delete button. Be very careful how you lived your life. You're either a lesson or you are a blessing. Are y'all out there? Are y'all out there? Y'all still love me? I'm just preaching what the Bible said. Y'all with me tonight? How many can wave your hand and say, preach on preacher? Is this all right? Verse number eight. Go on to verse number eight. I got a few more minutes. Brother Mike, what time is it again? All right, I'm just... Boy, I'm making time right here, brother. Let's dig a little deeper. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 8. The wise are glad to be instructed, but babbling fools fall flat on their faces. In other words, Solomon is saying, if you talk too much, fools talk too much, and people who talk too much, they just fall flat on their face. He says, but the wise are glad to be instructed. In other words, you have two ears. It's, it's good to listen more than you speak. He says, you don't know it all, in other words. He says, be a lifelong learner. When you stop learning, you stop growing. You need to be more in a receive mode than you are in a talking mode. Receive correction. The wise are glad to be instructed. They're glad to receive. They're glad to hear instruction. They're not always running their mouth because those who run their mouth all the time are always falling on their face. You remember what the apostle said? in the epistles, that women should adore themselves with godliness, a quiet spirit. And they should not be babblers who run from house to house spreading things. The epistles are very, very clear that we should watch how we run our mouths to people. Chapter number 10, verse number 9, not only do you need to re receive instruction be in a receive mode, but chapter 10, verse number 9, he says you need to walk in it with integrity. People who walk with integrity walk safely, but those who follow crooked paths will slip and fall. In other words, the word integrity in the Hebrew means wholeness. So when somebody is whole, in other words, what they say and what they do matches, there is safety in that. But what they say and what they do, if it don't match, they will slip and fall. Is there wholeness in your life? Because when there's wholeness in your life, there is safety in your life because you don't got to go back and try to figure out what you said, how you said it, blah, blah. There, what you say and what you do matches. There is integrity. There's wholeness in your life. Verse number 10, he goes on with another random saying, people who wink at the wrong causes trouble. 
but a bold reproof promotes peace. He says, don't, don't wink at trouble. Don't overlook at trouble. Listen, what you do in moderation, your children will do in excess. What you do in moderation, your children will do in excess. So don't just wink at it. Don't just throw it under the carpet, but learn how to deal with problems. Because what you permit will increase. What you permit will increase. That's a law of wisdom. Whatever I permit, it will increase. It will not stop until you stop it. You can get the frustrated, you can get mad, you can upset, but it does not stop until you say it stops. What you permit will increase. What you permit will increase. Are you going to wink at it? Are you going to overlook it? Or are you going to face things and confront things with peace? Because it promotes peace. Amen. Can I hear an amen? People who are growing will see, will see uh, reproof as a blessing and not as you are being picked on. Proverbs chapter 10, verse number 11, he goes on to say, the words of the godly are life-giving fountain, but the words of the wicked console violent intentions. In other words, the godly person is a fountain. That means they're always giving forth life-giving words. It's not occasionally. This is who they are. This is their character. They are walking in this integrity. They're walking in this idea that this is who they are. They are a fountain of life-giving words. Life-giving words. The fight of your inward man is controlled or it is lost by that two-inch piece of flesh in your mouth. Don't let a two-inch piece of flesh control your life. Don't let it destroy your life. Learn how to get the mouth under control. Chapter 10, verse 12, he goes on to say, he says, hatred stirs up fights. He says, but he goes on to say in verse number 12, he says, but love covers a multitude of sins. One translation says offenses. Love covers a multitude of sins? Yes, it does. You see, let me give you a word of wisdom. The circle of confession should not go outside of the circle of offense. The circle of confession should not go outside of the circle of offense. If there's an issue between you and somebody else, if there's a fight, you stay in the circle. If it involves three people, it stays with three people. The confession stays in the circle of offense. The circle of confession should not go beyond the circle of offense. And what happens in the church is we like to get on the phone and tell everybody our business and it brings a bad reproach on the church. Don't, don't bring a bad reproach. And you know why you shouldn't bring a bad reproach on the church? Because it's not your bride. It's his bride. It's his church. Let's learn how to conduct business appropriately. If the circle of confession involves the whole church, let's get the whole church involved. If it involves three or four people, let's keep it in the three or four people. Amen? Not getting on Facebook and telling the whole world how you're wounded and inviting everybody to your small group where everybody can sit in a small group and take their tongue and lick each other's wounds and all of us can tell each other how bad the church has been to us.
And isn't it amazing that people do that and it just makes you look bad. Because three or four weeks, people just for, people move on with their life and forget about it. It just brings a reproach on you. People are not too concerned about you. They're not thinking as much about you that you think they are. They go home every day, eat their Oreos and fried chicken, and they're not always thinking about you. People have a victim mentality. Everybody's talking about them. So we honestly think we're that important that everybody talks about us. That's a horrible, prideful mindset to have, that everybody's talking about you all the time. Everybody say, that's right. Love covers a multitude of sin. Verse 13, he goes on to say, verse 13, he goes on to say, wise words come from the lips of people with understanding. But those lacking sense will be beaten with a what? He says people who are wise, people who are wise will know how to speak will have understanding. The words come from the lips of people with understanding. Verse number 14, he goes on to say that there is a connection between people who treasure knowledge, and, but the babbling of a fool invites a disaster. People who talk too much will invite disaster to their house, but there are certain people who treasure knowledge, treasure wisdom. They're in the receive mode of that. They're receiving they're listening more than a fool. What is a fool? A fool is somebody who acts without the appropriate knowledge. That's what a fool is. A fool is somebody that acts without the appropriate knowledge. Somebody that don't have the appropriate knowledge and they're talking, being foolish, but they don't have understanding. don't have understanding about it. You see, communication is not what's being said. Communication is what's being understood. What's being understood. He goes on to verse number 15. He says, these people treasure knowledge. He says, but the wealth of the rich is their fortress. And the poverty of the poor is their destruction. He says, you've got to have the right attitude towards money. Have the right attitude towards money. The wealth of the rich is their fortress. The poverty of the poor is their disaster. Money is neutral. It's neither good or bad. It depends on whose hands it gets into. Am I right? As a Christian, as a Christian, your wealth that God has given you, according to the New Testament, should be an offering of sacrifice. It should be proportional to your giving. And it should be regular. That's what the New Testament teaches. That your giving should be consistent and regular. If you get paid once a month, you should give once a month. It should be regular. It should be proportionate to your, give, your income. If you have a lot, you should give a lot. If you have less, you should give less. And number three, it should be sacrificial. You should challenge your faith. That's New Testament stewardship and giving. Proportional, consistent, regular giving, but it's also sacrificial. I think that tithing is below our standard. I think the New Testament teaches generosity, which is far above a percentage mark. shouldn't limit. Can I hear an amen? So, he says, 
verse number 16, he goes on, he says, he says uh, the earnings of a godly, you know, he's on this thing about talking about wealth. He's talking about money. He's talking about stewardship. The godly enhances their lives. The earnings of the godly enhances, enhance their lives. But what does evil people do? They squander their money on sin. Boy, isn't that the truth? Godly has enough wisdom that they can enhance their lives. They know where to put the money. They know how to invest the money so that it would enhance their lives and other people around them. But the ungodly will spend their money on sin or selfish things. You see, yes, money should be, you should work hard. It should provide for your family. It should provide for your future. But it also should enhance your life as well and those around you. Verse number 17, making the right impact. You have to make the right impact. People who accept discipline are on the pathway of life, but those who ignore correction will go astray. He says, if you accept discipline, you're on the pathway of life. Or another phrase says, you're on the pathway of growth. If you want to grow, you've got to accept the discipline, the correction that comes. But those who ignore it will also go astray. Isn't that why you correct children? You correct children so that they do not go astray. Correction is acceptable to God. That's why you correct your children. Somebody who loves their child will correct their child. Because you don't want their child to go astray. The father who loves us he loves us enough to correct us. He loves us enough to correct us. But if you ignore it, you go away. Isn't that what the book of Proverbs is about? Proverbs 1, Proverbs chapter 2. We've already studied. If you heed to understanding, heed to instruction, heed to understanding, you will not go the way of the ungodly. Not go the way of the ungodly. Not go with the way of the ungodly. He goes on says in verse number 18 that you've got to guard your heart. You've got to guard your lips. You know, Proverbs is all about the heart. It's about the lips. This reoccurs over and over, over and over. Hiding hatred makes you a liar and slandering others make you a fool. Those who slander others will make you a fool. Hiding anger makes you a liar. Is it okay to show anger? Yes. Godly indignation. But slandering, it's okay to be angry as long as the anger does not produce hatred. And when it produces hatred, you begin to slander others. You see, you start with the level of trust is broken. When trust is broken, then anger arises. When anger is not dealt with, it goes to hatred. When hatred is not dealt with, it goes to bitterness. When bitterness is not dealt with, it goes to malice. And when malice is not dealt with, it goes to murder. It goes to murder. He goes on to verse number 19. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. Too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth. Too much talk leads to sin. Now, that's an observation about life. You know, you could talk much about something good. Too much talk leads to sin. He goes on to say, verse number 20. What time is it, Brother Mike? Verse number 20. He talks about, he goes on, and I love this. He talks about the words of the godly man. He says, the words of a godly man is like choice silver. But the heart of the wicked is worth little or worthless. 
In other words, those who have a righteous tongue, their words are like silver. In other words, he's using the analogy that silver shines. Those who are speaking godly, their words will shine. Their words will stand out and shine among other words. Among other words. He goes on to say that the lips, verse number 21, the lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for the lack of wisdom. The words of godly encourage many, but the fools are destroyed for the lack of common sense. Boy, that holds a lot of truth, don't it? People are destroyed because of common sense. Common sense. He goes on to verse number 22. He goes on. He says, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich. And he adds no sorrow to it. The blessing of the Lord makes a person rich and he addeth no sorrow to it. Speaking spiritually. He's going from material possessions to speaking of the blessing. When it comes, it makes you rich. He adds no sorrow. When God blesses you, whether it's material or spiritual, there is no sorrow added to the blessing of God. Verse number 23, he says, To do evil is like a sport to a fool. But a man of understanding has wisdom. A man of understanding has wisdom. Doing wrong is fun for a fool. But living wisely brings pleasure to the sensible. Isn't that powerful? Doing wrong is fun for a fool. We have a whole generation of people, especially young people who love to do wrong. The Scripture calls you a fool for doing wrong all the time. But living wisely brings pleasure to those who are sensible. You know, I don't have time. I'm going to just pick out a few more verses and then we're going to end it tonight because it goes to verse number 32. Verse number 27, go to this. Or go to verse 26 if you could. Verse number 26. How many would agree with this that lazy people really do irritate their employers? How many would raise your hand and say that's true? Like vinegar to the teeth or smoke in the eyes. Vinegar in your mouth is not too tasteful. Smoke in your eyes is a distraction. It irritates you. And lazy people are like that to people who, (laughs) they're employees. When I read that, I just wanted to laugh because how much more clear and plain can you get from that observation? That observation that Solomon is making is right on target. Amen. Right on target. He goes on to verse number 27. I just had to laugh really good when I read that. The fear of the Lord lengthens one's life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. The fear of the Lord, respect for the Lord. It's the word for respect. Those who respect the Lord, though, what do you do when you respect the Lord? You heed to His commandments. Those who respect the Lord, those who heed to His commandments, will have a life that is lengthened. But the years of the wicked will be cut short. Verse number 29, the way of the Lord is strength to the upright. The way of the Lord is strength to the upright or to those with integrity, but it destroys the wicked. Verse number 30, the righteous will never be removed, but the wicked will not inherit the earth. The godly will never be disturbed, but the wicked will be removed from the land. He gives a contrast between the wicked and the righteous. The last 10 verses that we just read, he's given a contrast, wicked and righteous. The wicked speaks with evil intentions. The wicked does this, but the godly is a fountain of life. The godly 
His life shall be prolonged. The godly shall speak words of wisdom. The godly shall do this. There is a contrast. In other words, there should be a difference between the ungodly and the godly. In other words, there should be a difference between how the godly lives and how the ungodly lives. In other words, there should be a difference between how the godly takes care of their money and how the ungodly takes care of their money. There should be a difference between how the godly speaks and the ungodly speaks. It should be a difference between how the godly thinks and the ungodly thinks. That's his point. There's a difference. There's a contrast here between the godly and the ungodly, between the righteous and the wicked. Amen. We're different. We're different. He goes on to say, verse number 31, the mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but a perverse tongue will be cut out. See the contrast? The mouth of the righteous, it's going to bring forth wisdom. But those who are perverse, those who are wicked, it's going to be cut out. It's not going to last. Verse 32, the lips of the righteous will know what is acceptable. But the mouth of the wicked is perverse. Or the lips of the godly will speak helpful words. But the mouth of the wicked will speak perverse words. There is a difference between how the godly speaks and the ungodly speaks. There's a difference. Amen. Amen. Can I hear an amen about that? There is a difference. And that is why, in closing, David says, David echoes these words. And he says in Psalm chapter 1, in verse number 1, in closing, he says this, Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, David echoes that there should be a difference. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, he says, Psalm 1, Chapter 1, verse number 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor seat, sets in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and he, in his law he meditates day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by rivers of living water that brings forth fruit in its season. You see what he's saying? Go back to verse number 1. The righteous, blessed is the man who walks, stands, sits. There is a progression with the righteous man. If you begin to walk in their path, you're going to sit or you're going to stand. If you walk in their path, you're going to stand. In other words, you're going to digress a little bit. If you continue to go down that path, you're going to sit with them. He says, but there's a difference. He says, because the godly is like a tree. They're, they're, not, they're, not, they're not trying to catch up with the culture. They're not trying to run with the culture and sit with the culture and, 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 and stand with the culture. They're planted. They're planted. Verse number, verse number three, he shall be like a tree. A tree is not walking. A tree is not sitting. A tree, a tree is planted. It's firm. The ungodly will be like those who are always running to catch the latest fad, the latest thing. They're always busy, always running the mouth, always trying to catch up. Walking, standing, and sitting. But the righteous, radical Christianity are those who can endure for decades and be faithful and fruitful. That's radical Christianity. Did you enjoy the word of the Lord today?